Good morning, Radiant. Uh, what a delight to be with you. And if you would, just go ahead and grab your Bible. We're big about the Bible around here. So grab your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. If uh, you forgot to bring your Bible today, I believe it's page 231 and in the Bibles behind the seats there. Uh, grab a hold of that. Uh, before we get into the text today, I just really want to kind of stop and take a pause, reflect, rejoice moment here. And what Larry and Nate were talking about earlier, just with down in St. Vincent and the delight that it's been for us as a church to be able to uh, run lead on some church plants in St. Vincent and Haiti and Lord willing later this year, next year in Scotland and then also with Bloomington Bible Church here just down south near IU and then um, here in 2015, uh, being able to run lead with a plant on the south side of Indy. And uh, reflecting back on that, uh, it was originally Harvest Bible Chapel, Indy South. And it's now uh, Redeemer Bible Church. And Pastor Brock had interned with us in 2015. And then uh, he and his wife, Erica, with their two little ones, they now have two additional twins on top. So they have a full house. And um, they then planted, uh, it was uh, September end of 2015, that they planted uh, church there. And God has just been at work. And uh, uh, just last month, I had lunch with Brock and was able to talk with him and then get a tour through uh, their facility that is under construction right now. And uh, we just want to rejoice in that. Uh, it has been an amazing journey for them. They've been meeting in Clark Pleasant Middle School for uh, these almost six years now. And then, uh, Lord willing, in October, November, uh, they'll have their first services in their new facility. It's so cool how it's worked because the school is right there on, or you didn't used to be an exit off of 65, but there's an exit now at 65 and Worthsville Road and Clark Pleasant Middle School is right there and actually they are building on ground that the school worked with them to have so you can see it right off the highway. It's, it's just some cool situations and uh, we just want to rejoice in what God is doing because God is at work uh, outside of ourselves and sometimes we get so closed in on ourselves that we lose sight of what God is doing all over the place. And uh, it is also a lead-in for our sermon today because it carries over into this idea that God is at work in building his people. God is at work in building his people. And, and I trust that our time today in what is the longest text for this entire series in 1 Samuel, as well as later this year when we hit into 2 Samuel. We are covering three chapters today, and uh, what was I thinking after six services on Easter and then the longest text the Sunday afterwards? Yeah, I am not the sharpest crayon in the box, but I will tell you this text this week has just been a blessing to my heart. It's pressed into me and just helped me in a number of ways, and I pray that it will for you as well. And uh, we have these three chapters. There's really three events in each of these chapters. And I think if you just pick it up and read, as, as I would have just pick it up and read through, and you kind of go, there's three events here that kind of seem random, like they're just three events, and yet in it, they are not random. I actually think the writer is wanting to pull these three together to see something really important for you and I that God was at work and doing in David's life, and that's this. God was at work using the events of life to build 
into David a key truth in David's life. I think these chapters happen in a period of about four, six, maybe eight weeks of time. So this isn't the kind of thing that stretches over some years, but it's kind of within a shorter period of time. And here's the thing. I think you and I have a tendency to see life in such a way that we see life as happening in random events. Like, what'd you do this week? Well, like, I did that, and I did that, and I did that. What'd you do last week? I did that, and I did that. And we actually uh, think that life is totally random. But here's the truth about our God. God is not random. God is not random. God does not work through random. And that means that our lives are not going from God's view. Our lives are not happening in random. God is at work in our lives. The question really on the table is, are we paying attention? Are we actually pausing in the events of life to consider what God has been doing? And you just got the closing of the sermon today. Okay? So let's dive into the text because we've got three chapters. I'm not going to read all of it, but I am going to read a good part of it because so much of it just preaches. And so better it preach than me. So chapter 24 is David stirred. David is stirred in his heart. Chapter uh, 25 is David heard. He hears from Abigail. And then chapter 26 is David observed. It's not that he watched. It's observed from the meaning that David then practiced it, put it into his life. It is now observed in his life. So let's, let's get at it. God help us as we dive into your word. Right, church? Amen. Let's go. Chapter 24, I'll begin verses 1 through 6. When Saul returned from following the Philistines... Uh, Two weeks ago, we were at the end of chapter 23, David is on one side of this hill in this wilderness area, and and his men, and Saul is on the other side of the hill in this wilderness area, and it looks like Saul is going to conquer David and his men, and then God in his sovereignty has the Philistines, who hate God, uh, the Philistines come in after from behind, and so Saul gets note, hey Saul, the Philistines are coming after, so uh, Saul turns his men right on God's exact timing, and they head back and they go. And so now we pick up 24. When Saul returned from that, from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. He got his Marines out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Yeah, you know, the Bible gets real. The Bible gets real at times. Um, uh, yeah, here is King Saul, and uh, yeah, he's got to use the restroom. And uh, God is going to work through this whole thing, and I think there's potential aspect of this to where it wasn't maybe just a singular restroom break, but it could even have been a short siesta, uh, kind of a nap time and so forth. But we know this, the text is telling us, uh, King Saul is going in and doing what everyone does. And uh, I'm going to keep moving on so I can get out of all that. He goes into the cave, and, and very likely with it, he takes off his, his robe, it probably hangs it up, and he's doing his business or whatever. Maybe he takes a short little nap in all of this, but that's what we learned. Let's move on. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of that cave. Oh, the dink of God, right? 
How God is sovereignly, they are in this very cave hiding. Saul comes into this. They see it, and David's men said to him, David, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you into your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as shall seem good to you. Hey, David, God opened the door. He's opened the windows. He turned, pulled the garage door open. David, run through, man, run through. And David rose I'm reading English Standard Version, I love this, stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Um, for Samuel 15, 27, 28, uh, Samuel is dealing with a situation where he makes reference to this idea that uh, I think what David is doing here is he, he could have done anything. He could have like taken something, he could have like just cut the robe, why the corner of the robe? I think it goes back to that because it signifies the forfeiting of the kingdom away from him. David wasn't just grabbing what was most convenient to make a cut on it to show that David was right there. I actually think he was doing that, but he was doing more than that. He was making a statement with what's happening here, and I think we'll see why here in just a second. And afterward, here's the line for chapter 24, David's heart struck him. Underline it, highlight it, circle it. That's the theme in this chapter, and that's where the next two run off of. David's heart struck him. Why? Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. We read that and we kind of go, but David, wait a second. Okay, he, he was anointed to be king. He is the Lord's anointed to be king. But, but David, the dude is off the rails. He's not following God. He's not being godly at all. Frankly, Saul is being wicked. It's going to even increasingly get wicked. David, God's anointing, clearly God's hand is off of him. And yet David in this is understanding back in that day when Samuel would anointed Saul, it was said unto the Lord, listen, this is the Lord's person. And ultimately, David is being struck at his heart where, listen, I, 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 can't, I can't be the one to do the Lord's bidding. God's got to deal that. I have just entered into God's territory on it. And the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my, out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And so David persuaded. I actually think that's too light. I think the idea of the Hebrew is more David demanded, David ordered, David even fought with his men uh, with these words uh, that they were not to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Saul didn't know any of this happened. Verse 8, afterward, shortly afterward, David arose, went out of the cave, and called after Saul. Uh, so I think Saul has walked a little ways away. He's not like nose to nose. I don't even think he's across the room. I think he's a ways off here. And so I'm going to kind of talk maybe a little bit louder like David would in this situation. So it's kind of like, my Lord, the king! calling out to him. And, and when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. I'm just going to tell you that right there is already showing action that's coming out of how God has stirred in his heart. Verse 9, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. 
I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. That statement is again over and over through these chapters. See my father, uh, see the corner of your robe in my hand. Uh, for by the fact that I cut the corner of your robe and did not kill you, uh, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hand. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. David is taking a God perspective in what is happening. David is, uh, if you will, stating truth about why are you seeking after me, but verse 12, may the Lord judge. May the Lord avenge. Friends, we have some things going off the rails in our day that this text is crazy applicable to. Be careful. Be careful. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. And as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Remember, David played the lyre for Saul. It's been some uh, 10, 15 years, uh, probably 10-ish years of time since David was playing the lyre for Saul and all of this and serving. And, and Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Yes, you have, Saul. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you surely will be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Wow. Verse 21, swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and this is a statement that concerns me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. Saul was always concerned about his name. And David swore this to Saul, and then Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. David is stirred in this. David is stirred that the Lord is the avenger, not him. A truth presses into his soul, presses into his conscience. God is at work with him. Let's continue and see it carried on out from here. And then we come to chapter 25, verse 1, and it's just a moment to have a reflective pause. Why? Look at verse 1. Samuel died. Not quite sure how old Samuel was. Some say 70s, some say 80s, 90s, probably more towards the latter. Israel assembled, mourned for him. They buried him in his house in Ramah. Samuel has served the Lord in a role for decades of time. Loving the Lord, claiming the Lord, leading for the Lord, times failing. I'll just say the longer I'm in life and the longer I'm in ministry, Samuel's a hero of the faith. And we don't worship humans, but we sure can admire and give them due props. 
Oh, to be like a Samuel. In hard days and in good days. Props, my friend. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in, I'll just call it Carmel because we're used to that because up north. The man was very rich, as most are in Carmel. <laughs> hey, Westsiders, we can do that. <laughs> he was rich. He had 3,000 sheep. We had two sheep once. <laughs> 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was mega wealthy. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. It's important to know that. that. That's a very important statement for what's about to take place. Because if you just read and you don't quite pull this together, I think it makes some of it hard. So just a moment on this. It's shearing time. It's kind of a harvest time for livestock in the day. It's, this is the time where you've been working towards and it's shearing time. And this is the time where all the work, all the effort, all the money put in, now you get the money out of it. And so shearing. And, and in the tradition of the day, what would happen is, is that uh, the, the owner uh, in the sheep shearing process of it, they would have these harvest celebration times. And they would all gather together. So we're going to see, uh, actually, if you, if you read at the end of the chapter, I won't go into it, but uh, they have this huge party, and that was very common in the day. Part of what else was common in the day was when, at this time of the year, when this was taking place, uh, the owner or owners would, would give those who are overseeing the shepherds. Or, oh, by the way, and David was a shepherd, wasn't he? David knows how this works. And when the shear would come along, at that time of the year, they would give things and they would be gracious to their people because that was kind of the time where bounty was for all. Uh, understand, that's the season that this happened. Verse 3, now the man, uh, and the name of the man was Nabal. The name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. I'm telling you, she is so my wife. But the man was harsh, badly behaved. Let me describe him in a word theologically. He was a jerk. This dude was a bad dude. Powerful, rich, mean, and you'll see that played out. I'm actually being good to him, as we'll see here in just a minute. Verse 4, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David, understanding how this all works and the tradition and the way things are done, sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Uh, peace be to you, and peace to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I, I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and, and we, did not, we did them no harm, and, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. 
Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, uh, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand for your servants and your son David. Uh, you understand what's going on, the whole context of what's taking place and all that. And, and I, I'll add this now. David and his men, part of what happens and also will be furthered out in the text, David and his men, as they're wandering in the wilderness, as we've been through following David around in this territory, David and his men, some 400, now 600 men, are, are in this. They're also protecting uh, Nabal's sheep and goats. They are serving, as we'll told here in a while, serving as a wall around them. Back in that day, it was kind of like pirate days. You know, they're taking goods across the ocean, and pirates come in and take it. And, and so you would have protective people around. And that's what David and his men were in running from Saul, were also functioning as that. So, uh, verse 9, let's keep going. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited, and Nabal answered David's servants, just as how uh, Nabal, by the way, his name means fool would answer. Uh, I don't know the tone, but it had to be somewhere snarky. Who is David? Who is the son of David? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their master. Shall I take bread and my water and my meat and, and, and that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I don't know where? And so David's young men turned and came back and told David this. And David said to his men, okay, guys, every one of you strap up swords, strap it up, because we're going in and we're taking them out. Interesting. David's seeking vengeance. It was a traditional thing to do with how this was. Yes, Nabal was, was being a jerk, and David seeking vengeance. Vengeance. Vengeance is different than justice. Vengeance is individual in nature. Vengeance has the, carries the idea of the individual retaliatory meeting out of my, I will have vengeance on, carries that idea. Justice, it's the proper meeting out of established law. Justice is communal. Vengeance is individual in nature most of the time. And David here is in this place of, of vengeance. Hey, justice, yes. Vengeance, no. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. That needs a word to be heard today, friends. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Know this, there is, quote, one individual, one triune unity that can deal vengeance out perfectly, and that is not me or you. That is our Godhead. God says, leave it to me. Justice, yes, Communal process, yes. Individual vendetta carried out, no. And David here is on an individual vendetta. By the way, chapter four, what did God spur in David's heart? David, stop. So what's gonna happen here? I wonder what's gonna take place, verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, in other words, one of Nabal's servants told Abigail, his, his wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. The master did, Nabal. 
Yet the men were very good to us, and they, we've suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when they were in the fields as long as they went with them. In other words, as David men were kind of uh, out of the corner of their eyes caring for his uh, uh, animals. In verse 16, they were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Verse 17, now therefore know this and consider this, uh, Abigail, uh, what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against our household, which includes me and you. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak of him. And Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves. By the way, who has 200 loaves sitting around? Unless like, you're a Walton family member, right? That just is one sign of the wealth here. Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, uh, five sheep already prepared, and five sayas of parched grain, and hundreds of clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode in the donkey, came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David is out on it. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey, fell before David on her face, bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Whoa. What a lady to say that. She's married to a fool. Uh, please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let, my not, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. Ow. For as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name. Folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. I am telling you, friends, what is happening right now with Abigail is discernment. She is helping him. Lovingly, respectfully, kindly. And she is helping him to see even that the Lord is restraining you from blood guilt to saving with your own hand, i.e. vengeance. And now then, uh, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord uh, be as Nabal. David, don't be Nabal. Uh, verse 27, and now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. This is gold right here, verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house to David, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. David, fight the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. David, you're stepping into evil. If men rise up to pursue you and, use, and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. David, leave it in the bundle of the Lord. 
and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Oh, do, do you, who knows about a sling? There is no question Abigail knows about David and Goliath. It happened probably some 10 years prior to this. And she is even in her discernment and wisdom bringing that into which David can absolutely relate to. David, the Lord is the sling, not you. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, remember your servant. I wonder how David's going to respond Verse 32, David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord who sent you to meet me. David knew what was going on. Friends, this is someone who even in a moment of vengefulness comes to the place where they realize that he just heard a word from the Lord. And this isn't just Abigail in her own wisdom, as discerning and beautiful as a woman as she is. This is Abigail in her discernment and beauty, God using that and him receiving it. Verse 33, blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, Unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left in Nabal so much as a male. Go down to verse 38. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. Learning moment. And you cannot tell me that all of that is not connected to the prior chapter, which probably happened within the weeks earlier. And the Lord stirring in his heart, and then here, David having a heart that is willing to hear. And friends, a stirred heart is a good thing, because stirred hearts are hearts that are stirred to want to know the Lord's heart. And hearing hearts are a good thing, because hearing hearts are willing to hear from the Lord. And that's what's happening with David. And then he sees God take out Nabal. Not David in his own vengeance, but God brought it as it should be. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, verse 39, he said, blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Hey friend, I don't know if you are in a mission of life to where you are trying to seek vengeance on someone or some ones who have done evil against you. I warn you today from the text, watch yourself. It is not that it removes the hurt, 
It is not that it removes the evil. It is not that it removes even the ramifications. But Romans 12, 19, the Lord is the one who seeks vengeance. Not you, not me. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. So David's heart's been stirred. David's heart, or David has heard from Abigail. And then lastly, I'm just going to read a few verses out of chapter 26. Watch this. David has an opportunity to, pr- to put into practice what's been stirred in his heart, what he's heard from Abigail, and it's like a reboot. It's like chapter 24 all over again with Saul. Let's now see how David, if David, has learned and now is observing it in his own life. In verses one through six, Saul continues to hunt David down, even though he said he wouldn't. David learns of this. He learns where Saul is at. Uh, he has a, a Vishai uh, here who comes with them. They go down into Saul, Saul's camp, pick up verse 7. So David and Abishai uh, went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, near his head, not in his head. And, and Abner and the army lay around him. It's telling you the picture, like, how in the world can these two get past all this? Ah, oh, we'll find out here in just a sec. Verse 8, then Aviashai said to David, David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. I mean, I'll get him right through the middle of his eyes and I'll just take him out in a second. David, God has opened the door. David, God has opened the windows, the garage doors up. David, it's so clear what God has done. We are in the middle of the camp, spear here, let me take him out. That sounds exactly chapter 24. I wonder what David is going to do. Is David going to cut off the other corner of his robe and make a statement and then be stirred in his conscience and guilt? Watch this. David puts into place what God's been working in his life. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come to die. Hey, where does that come from? Because he just saw uh, probably a short time ago, within weeks probably, because he just saw uh, from uh, Abigail hearing from her and the Lord stopping him in his vengeful tracks and, and, and receiving the fact that God is the avenger and then being good with that and then seeing God taking the ball out in 10 days later. And David now has learned, and David doesn't have to figure, David is implementing what he's learned. Friends, these three chapters are so cool and so encouraging because it tells the story of what God is trying to do in your and my life as well. Know this, you and I are not David. But 
In this process, God is working with David to mature him, to grow him. Let me just say this. What does a king need to have to be a king that is about God's heart, not their own heart? One of the things they have to learn to do is not to be vengeful. Because a king that is a hot king on the throne, people are going to be fried just for not cooking his pancakes right. That's what Saul is. And God is using the events to build his person and his persons. I think I, and I'm going to suggest we, view life is random. We tend to see life as happening, an event, and we go from event to event to event, and we hope this one gets done, and we want this one to remain. God is not random. And this is one of those texts in these three chapters that is like this living story that is showing us God is working, stirring, And then God is having David here. And then God gives him a whole nother situation for him to see. David, now let's see you implement what you've been stirred on and heard about. David, here's a chance for you. And David, way to go, dude. He wasn't successful all the time. But in this incident, incidents, we see David being grown. And friend, I want to encourage you and I to consider the same homework for this week. I want to suggest this week that you would take some time and consider, well, I'm going to go because I think this is in a four, six, eight week period of time. Uh, Look back over the last four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. Has God been stirring in your heart, but have you maybe not paused long enough to consider what God has been stirring? Because we, we just get going and going and going and going and we just put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off and go to the next thing. It's like, stop. God is not random. God does not work through random. Uh, God is working through life situations and scenarios and events. We need to ask the question, stop, pause. God, what are you at work doing in my life recently? I want to encourage you to take some time to do that. What's been happening? Because the events that are happening in your life are not random out of God's awareness, out of God's control, and out of God's strategic purposes. God is trying to do something. The question is, are we willing to listen? So, Spirit of God, I pray this week that you would help us to be implementers of that. Amen? By the way, one of the things that might be for you coming off of Easter here I, last Sunday, I went off of Matthew 7, finished where Jesus finished his sermon and hear and obey. He was basically saying that. It's like you could be stirred, you can hear, and you cannot carry it out into your life and it be done, and it's of no value. And Jesus was saying, no, carry it on to chapter 26. And I left last Sunday there in that manner, in that mode that Jesus did. I want to say this. Maybe there are some where after Easter and what's been happening over the months, maybe God has been stirring in you that maybe you don't have a relationship with the Lord like you thought you had. 
Or maybe it's been like, I've, frankly, I've never really considered the Bible. I've never really considered God. I've never really considered what's what. I just thought all dogs go to heaven. And God's been stirring in you. Something's wrong with that. And maybe you've been hearing, whether it's through here or through others, that there's something going on. Listen, friend, I want to encourage you, pay attention to what the Lord is doing. And in fact, after the end of the service, we've got three of our lay couple elders uh, are going to be up front here, and they would love to talk with you. They're going to be up front here. You can come on up at the end of the service. You can interact with them. Maybe, it's, maybe you just need prayer over something, or maybe it's the kind of thing where you're like, you know what, I don't think I have a real deal relationship with the Lord. Can you help me through that? I'd like to drive the stake in the ground and know Christ is my Savior. They'll be up here after the service. Don't wait. And so, Lord, we stop the hearing And we really move on to the, so now what are we going to observe? How are we going to observe this in our life? And Father, I pray for those who are in Christ and know you as their Savior. I pray that this week, God, even right now, you'd be stirring within them the things that have been heard. And and God, that their soul would even be quieted for a moment, for some times this week, that they would sit back and reflect on, maybe even write a psalm out of what God has been doing in their life. And that they would seek to further implement your work in their life. What a sad thing it would be, Lord, to stand before you one day and just say, yeah, we just kind of forgot to stop and pause and observe what you were doing so that we could implement it better. Oh, God, may that not be our story. And Lord, for the person who is without Christ, maybe it's been for a few days where they've been wondering, weeks, months, years, decades, where you've been stirring in their heart that they're in need of a real deal living relationship with you through the work of Christ on the cross. And God, I pray that today that they would come up and that they would receive Christ as our Savior. May we be doers and not hearers only. In your name we pray. Amen.